What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. April is a huge month for TV, and starting this weekend, the Recapables feed returns to give you in-depth analysis on your favorite TV shows, including Killing Eve, Billions, and many more. There will also be a special Precapables series on the Recapables feed on the final season of Game of Thrones, where our staff forecasts what will happen every Sunday on the show. So make sure to subscribe now before the premiere of Killing Eve and Game of Thrones on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to a very special, maybe even emergency edition of the Recapables Billions Edition. I am Allison Herman. I am on the line with Miles Surrey. Hey, how's it going? It's going uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. We're in the studio, so I'm in the studio at 9 in the morning Pacific time, which I understand is a very normal time for people to be in their place of work, but not me. So we might be a little rusty. Uh, thank you in advance for bearing with, guys. And also, thank you so much for uh, tweeting relentlessly at me and Miles. I would say we are very surprised and touched that so many people who are not our parents are listening to these. I don't know. It's been It's been quite disarming. <laughs> No, it's been very sweet. I mean, it's mostly been gifs of Billions characters being disappointed in us because there aren't weekly recapables for this, but I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. Yes, we do apologize for the lack of regular updates, but I don't know if anyone knows this, but there's just a lot of television on literally all the time, and it's both yeah, our jobs. There's a show called Game of Thrones coming back soon. Uh, I think it's I've never to be heard of deal. that. Should I yeah. check that out? I don't know. It could be the last piece of monoculture or something like that. I think you might have said that once. Yes. So we have very <laughs> packed DVRs and schedules, and we have not been able to check in every week. But we thought it was very important that we come back for Billions Season 4, Episode 4, Overton Window, which... Oh, wow. I don't even know where to begin. Actually, we do know where to begin. So we have a pre-established template for the recapables. We have some recurring segments. We are going a little rogue for this one because this episode calls for it. And we are just going to start with the most scarring moment because there's truly no doubt about what that was this week. Yeah. Chuck's speech. <clears throat> you know what? I'm just going to say it. Uh, I, uh, in my private life in the confines of my happy marriage with my consenting wife practice sadomasochism Miles, what was the specific moment of Chuck's would-be concession turned confessional speech that most made you want to throw yourself out a window? Probably when he said, you probably don't want the rest of us looking at you while you do it, unless that's your thing. And if so, great. <laughs> that's a really solid candidate. But I got to yep. say, mine was when he specifically itemized the acts of violence that uh, bring him arousal. I OK, mm -hmm. I'm just going to read the full quote. We need to do it justice. In order to achieve sexual gratification, I need to be tied up, punched, pinched, whipped, kicked or otherwise tortured by my loving wife. Very important addition. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, this is a really pivotal turn in the Billions verse. Literally, the opening shot of the series establishes that there is a consensual BDSM relationship between Chuck Rhodes, the then U United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, and his wife, Wendy Rhodes, the performance coach for Axe Capital. But 
I don't know. I don't think the show has ever quite, like, had a handle, quite frankly, on, like, how they want it to, like, fit in to the show. Like, how seriously do they want it to be taken? How much of a joke do they want it to be? I don't know. Like, how have, what's your relationship been to this subplot within the larger show? Uh, honestly, it's kind of like what Chuck said in his speech, where it's like, you kind of get a few laughs out of it, but then... I do think, you know, it's obviously from Wendy's perspective and from ours as a viewers, it's it's quite an abhorrent thing to do the way he betrays her. But like what he's talking about when he's like, you know, like just be true to yourself. We we all do some some you know weird shit. He's basically like, say no to kink shaming is my platform. Like <laughs> I, I thought that that was that's like a fair it's a fair argument wrapped around like a really twisted plot line. Yeah, I mean, I think what he's saying is entirely true, and I totally agree with it. And I also think it's very in character that Jock Jeffcoat is deeply sex negative. Mm-hmm. Jock really yeah. like break open the Kinsey report sometime. It's really illuminating. Um, but yeah, I just think like throughout the show, it's like Billion's tone always walks a really great line between getting us to care about the characters, but it's always a fun time. And because this is like so pivotal to one of the core relationships in the show, I think it's almost like the way they treat Jed Bartlett's MS in the West Wing where they're like, oh, wouldn't this be cool? And then they were like, wait, this is a huge thing that we have to deal with as like a foundational part of the show. And I think now that this is actually a really smart way to use it because all of a sudden it's like, front and center and everyone knows about it and it's going to be a thing that everyone is going to have to react to. Yeah. And I, I do think it's interesting too because, um, you know, obviously like things between Chuck and Wendy haven't always been solved in the show, but this feels like like a genuine point of no return. Like I, I, d- I just don't see a way that Wendy and Chuck and at least in the like short term reconcile their relationship to a point where they're basically still on the same side. Yeah, we're going to talk about the ramifications later, Mm -hmm. but um, first we should probably do a brief plot recap. So obviously the main event of this episode is Chuck in his race for New York State's Attorney General uh, decides to evade a blackmail attempt by outing himself as a sadomasochist to the voting public of New York State (laughs) and also the rest of the world. But uh, we have a brief plot recap uh, in Previous incarnations of the show, the time limit has been 30 seconds. We don't have an official time limit, but we're going to try to keep it quick. So, without further ado, Blackjack Foley, stricken with terminal cancer, refuses to negotiate and lays down an ultimatum. Either Chuck drops out of the race for New York State Attorney General, or he tells the world Chuck and Wendy are into bondage. So Chuck goes nuclear and tells the world himself, blind signing and infuriating his wife. Meanwhile, Axe Cap is struck with a cyber attack just when they need to offend the company. Sorry. Meanwhile, Axe Cap is struck with a cyber attack just when they need to offload the company's natural gas positions. Thank you, Insider Trading. So the gang resorts to trading the old-fashioned way, i.e. by phone. The millennials are terrified. While he's occupied, Axe gets his new girlfriend to force out an incompetent convenience store CEO and creeper on his behalf. Taylor gets into business with their father, but there's trouble on the horizon. Axe got the newly elected Chuck to kick Grigor Andalov and his Taylor Mason capital seed money out of the country. That is a lot. Um, I counted basically like four separate subplots this episode, which is insane considering that like all anyone is probably going to be talking about is the whole I'm into bondage thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I know that you had some other stuff that you wanted to talk about in addition to just all the synopsis that I just crammed in there. 
Yeah, I mean, I I honestly think the most relatable part of the episode was the anxiety with some of the traders like Ben Kim over a good old-fashioned phone call. Because, Allison, I don't know about you, but, like, when I'm dealing with, like, TV or film PR people, I'd say, like, 95% of the time we're, like, discussing things over email. But every once in a while, someone just straight up dials my number and wants to talk, and it always freaks me out. (laughs) Oh, God, it's terrible. I mean, it's also, like, we work for a website. Like, we're one of those stereotypical millennial workplaces where, like, we will be sitting four feet away from somebody, but it's still more convenient to communicate via Slack. Like, there's very little face-to-face or vocal communication. And I think just, like, we as millennials in general are just not very comfortable with any form of analog communication. Like... Not to quote my own tweets, but I did. <laughs> I had to uh, mail my car registration physically because I needed a change of address this weekend, which is a very boring way of saying I had to go to the post office and like put a letter in a mailbox. And I was just like, I cannot believe I'm trusting this to a physical mode of delivery. Like, how am I supposed to just <laughs> believe that this thing will end up where it's supposed to go? So I agree with you. I like deeply related to Ben Kim and like the younger half of the Axe Capital roster just being like, how are we supposed to do our jobs without the internet? How does this work? <laughs> I, I also appreciated the moment where Axe first finds out about the natural gas position going down and he just starts booking on the street, cell phone in hand, while his bodyguards try to keep pace with him. <laughs> his poor bodyguards. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, we always, I always kind of forget that he is a security detail because, like, he insists on dressing in that, like, rich guy, hyper-casual, like, hoodie and jeans, even though both yeah. of those component parts definitely cost hundreds of dollars. And then you're like, oh, right, the dude has, like, two dudes in suits on either side of him who have to keep pace with him even when he's, like, freaking out about a work thing. <laughs> Uh, the, the episode also reminded me of something you wrote last year in the middle of, like, Billings' uh, third season. Because, like, the, the way you wrote about it, it's a great piece on TheRinger.com. That, the headline is Billions and the Beauty of a Mid-Season Reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you talk about how, like, Billions takes storylines that, like, with other shows could drive the plot for a whole season. But they, like, resolve stuff at a super fast, like, super entertaining pace and... It's almost like, like in that sense, like a macho soap opera. Yeah, I totally agree that, like, a nice thing about shows like this, and a lot of shows I like, I know Barry is also like this, mm-hmm. you know, the, when this audience sees something coming and they can just be like, okay, we know you know that's coming, so we're just going to move past it. Although, I wouldn't quite call this a mid-season reboot. Like, I think, you know, we obviously love this show, but I've seen some chatter among the Billions fan base, and by the Billions fan base, I mean New York sports pope Mike Francesa. <laughs> This season might have been a little slow. Like, we obviously love to be back with our TV friends, but I don't know if we really had a clear idea of, like, where the season was going or what the main conflicts were going to be or, you know, what parts of last season we were going to leave behind until this episode. And this episode certainly seems like it's going to be a pretty definitive send-off for Grigor Andalov, who was such a huge presence last season, and then it launches Mm -hmm. a whole... Possible, like, reconfiguration of the alliance, but I personally thought this was, like, a great, you know, we're we're kicking the season into high gear and we finally understand what, what season four is going to be that is different from season three, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's time to move on to our tweet length review, which is just our 280 character or less summation of what we've just spent the last, I don't know, even know, 10 minutes and counting talking about. So I know it's tough, but Miles, did you have a tweet length review? I'm sorry, Wendy. 
But this is tremendous content. Oh, so true. I mean, if I were a reporter in the Billions universe, like, can you imagine what just happened to the page six desk, like, inside (laughs) of Billions? Like, they're all passed out. They're all going to be working, like, 48-hour shifts. Like... Oh, the the newspaper headlines are going to be incredible. Oh, my God. The New York Post headlines are going to be insane. And I don't know. There was a great, like, on the A Star is Born Rewatchables, our uh, fearless leader, Amanda Dobbins, did a whole, like, five-day outline of, like, what the take cycle would be if Jackson Maine actually peed himself on stage of the Grammys. <laughs> and it would be that times, like, a hundred thousand million if, like, a major political official was like, yes, I'm into bondage. Like... Yeah, this this would be, like, like it's like the Wiener stuff also ramped up a notch because, I mean, that was terrible, but it also but wasn't, like, my wife spanks me. But the Wiener like, stuff was, like, straight up me. infidelity plus puns. Yes. This would be, like, explainers of BDSM. There would be 50 yep. Shades jokes. There would be don't kink shame op-eds. There would just be, like, an endless trove of content. So, well, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Vox BDSM explained in the Billions verse. <laughs> uh, possibly even our world. I mean, this this is a piece of content that is probably going to spur more content. So we're, we're contributing to the cycle already with this podcast. <laughs> uh, so my tweet length review was just every time a door to a Russian billionaire's private jet closes, an Overton window opens, sometimes by force. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Yeah, so nice. um, <laughs> this brings us to the person who opened the Overton window in this particular instance. Not about Medicare for all, not about regulating gun control, not about really anything political or issue window which, or issue related, which is like usually what we mean by shifting the Overton window. Um Chuck Rhodes really did a lot to make the world a safer place for people who like to be abused by their spouses in a consensual and loving (laughs) manner. So (laughs) I think both of our first ballot votes for MVP of this episode was Chuck Rhodes. Yeah, I mean, you got to give it to him because the speech was was really good. It got the point across. He did become AG as we get like a little 30-day flash forward. But I also want to give a shout out to just like all the reactions from the Billions Ensemble because you got like Connor Dean Sacker looking totally dumbstruck, Black Jack Foley sinking into his chair, and Chuck Sr. holding a glass of whiskey with like the most <laughs> insidious grin I've ever seen. That is actually, that's like a strong runner up for the most scarring moment of the episode. Like everything mm-hmm. Chuck Sr. says is its own special form of trauma to my subconscious, but just like the beaming look in his face as his child is talking about his sex life in exceptionally graphic fashion on national television was just like, <laughs> ugh. But yeah, I mean, Long-time listeners of this show know that I am something of a Chuck Rhodes apologist. I think that in the weird universe of this show, he's, despite being an Ivy League-educated blue blood with very powerful political offices and a ton of money, he's kind of the underdog. Like, everyone loves Axe because he's cool, he's, you know, even richer than Chuck. (laughs) Great Henleys. Just, I think Axe is like the more obvious wish fulfillment, which I think automatically makes me identify with the person who's like a little more awkward and ungainly and a little less like a cool person who would lead a TV show, even though we love Paul Giamatti. So like, Mm -hmm. I'm really here for our boy Chuck, like getting his and clawing his way back into the game in the most spectacular uh, sense possible. I don't know. How do you think Winston Churchill would feel about this particular uh, use of his words? Yeah. Um, 
We're going to talk a little bit about his Churchill quotes in the quotes section, but I, you know, I, I don't know if uh, he'd ever expected this to pop up. Yeah, it's a tough break for Winston Churchill's legacy, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think Chuck is, especially considering that he started this season literally, like, peddling a parking permit, I think this is a very uh, long way to go up in a very short amount of time, but... I think if we're agreed that one half of the Rhodes marriage really, like, won out this episode, it was a really tough week for the other one. So, Mm -hmm. Wendy Rhodes, we are so sorry, but you are definitely the LVP of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was was rough. And honestly, it was really sad just to see kind of, you know, she has, like, this very protective armor around her at work. Like, kind of has this aura of being untouchable and basically having power over like the psyches of the axe cap employees. And I don't think like we've ever seen her as visibly shattered in the show. as She was like in that moment during the speech in the office. And like when axe like makes eye contact with her, as she's heading toward the elevator. Like, I don't think we've ever seen her so vulnerable. Yeah. And she and Chuck have this political alliance. And I think like the baseline agreement of their marriage is that it's a professional alliance as much as it is a personal one. And they're both very in on that. And so I think this might be the first time, except when like, you know, obviously very early in the show, when Chuck was like, would you like to leave your extremely high paying job that pays for our house so I can (laughs) pursue my personal grudge? And she was like, no, thank you. You know, this is a very rare moment in the show where their ambitions are truly at odds with each other, or at least, like, Wendy's personal preferences, like, directly affect Chuck's ambitions. And, you know, she tells him, we actually have a clip of this very plainly, like, how she feels about the prospect of being outed. The window has shifted. And isn't it our responsibility? You want it to have shifted. Maybe it has, but not that much. And don't forget, part of you wants the humiliation. Needs it, but I don't. I can't live with it. I... I won't live with it. As much as we're rooting for Chuck and as much as we're happy for him, like, this is genuinely a huge betrayal. Like, I can't even imagine that your partner doing something like this to you. And the Rhodes marriage has clearly survived a lot in the past, but you're right that I don't quite see where it goes from here. I would also like to add that my secondary LVPs are the Rhodes children because (laughs) holy shit, can you imagine if this happened to you when you were like, how old are they? They're like elementary Uh, school age, right? When was the last time they even showed up on the show? Like, that's the thing is I I don't even remember like a close approximation. Yeah, much like Lara, they're very peripheral. I don't think we've seen (laughs) any like children or like non-protagonist spouses this season. Like what are Bax's kids up to? Just, (laughs) you know. They're just playing little league baseball or whatever. They're they're, they're fine. Slight tangent, but yes. Like also (laughs) the fact that Chuck's response is like, sometimes you just have to see your parents as people and like, agreed but there's a difference <laughs> not, not between, in that sense. Yeah. yeah there's a difference between like accepting that your parents are people who like maybe at some point have had sex to like knowing the specific ways that your parents have sex and the ways that sex is not the same as the sex your other parents or your other yeah. your friends parents are having it's just ugh Anyway. I mean, I'm assuming one of them is, like, around middle school age. Like, the bullying would just be nuts. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, yeah. I think Wendy was smart when she was like, I'm sending the kids to my mom's yeah. house. I hope also, they're going to oh be Oh, my God, Wendy's parents. Yeah, they're, they're going to be like, oh, no. all right. Anyway, uh, we did also, you know, this is 
the toughest week for Wendy, but Chuck's victory came at the expense of a few other players in the show. So, yeah. first of all, poor Blackjack Foley. Come on. Yeah, I mean, my guy spends his, like, final weeks on Earth hell-bent on preventing Chuck from becoming AG, and he still fails. That Also, like, that choice is the most billions we've imaginable. You've got weeks left to live, and instead of making the most of it with your loving family— you're just plotting against an arch emesis and trying to, like, screw them over one last time. I mean, like, to be fair, he did back-channel with Jock Jeffco to make sure mm-hmm. that the generational wealth will stay intact. But That's true. Although, speaking of generational wealth, do we think Elysian Fields is, like, fully a Hudson Yards ripoff? Is that, like, what the deal is there? That, that seems like a, a close approximation, sure. Yeah. Yeah, also just terrible name. Elysian Fields yeah. is not... Like, we have an Elysian Park here in Los Angeles, but it's, like, a beautiful public park, and it is not, like, a disgusting monstrosity that will further enrich the 1%, but... (laughs) It's almost as bad as uh, sugar vape. (laughs) Ugh, so gross. Anyway, um, also tough break for Grigor Andalov, where I think one of the most fascinating strains on billions is the way that, like, political power and financial power are separate but related. And, like, there are some scenarios where financial power clearly trumps political power, and yet there are also some scenarios where all the financial might in the world still doesn't prevent you from law enforcement, like, literally booting you out of the country. So Chuck's first act in office as an official political ally of Bobby Axelrod, who also helped him to get elected by sabotaging some school buses, classic electioneering, um... (laughs) Grigor's out. He just, like, literally can't set foot on American soil or access the vast majority of his money that is invested in American properties. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder if, like, he'll come back at some point in the show, but it, it does seem like, for now, like, the whole Axe-Grieger plotline has sort of run its natural course. And I'm honestly okay with it, because I felt like, like, there's only, only so many things you can do with Grieger on the show that just doesn't resort to, like, straight-up violence. Like, when he's like, yeah, I could kill Taylor if you want. So, I, I do think for now, like, I'm kind of excited to see, like, what sort of conflicts they'll, they'll set up with Axe next, aside from maybe more Taylor and, like, Wendy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I truly hope that we still get previously on Billions or whatever yes. the John Malkovich voiceover is. But I think oh, when you, also just a clear tell of like when you're dealing with an actor of that stature, their time on a show tends to be limited. Like he's got to do the new Pope. Of course. Oh, God. Yeah. Great point. He has to get to Italy, get on set. Please, Paolo Sorrentino, if you're listening, just expedite that production as soon as possible. We really cannot watch that fast enough. But yeah, like on we, we 30 Rock. We need to do Recapable's new Pope. It's it's happening. It's happening in advance. Yeah. Every, you know, white, sorry, sorry to our smokes. bosses at The Ringer. Yeah. We're going to self-publish if we come don't. out of The Ringer pod offices. <laughs> we're, we're doing it. <laughs> we're going to self-distribute even if even if we're not allowed to on, on the official Ringer pod network. Oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, like on 30 Rock, like Jack Donaghy was never going to end up with Julianne Moore. Like she has to go be Julianne Moore. So John Malkovich mm-hmm. is now freed up to do other stuff. But yeah, like I, I do think it was an interesting point that like when Axe and Grigor Andalov are kind of wrestling on their own turf, like Grigor Andalov clearly has the upper hand partially because he's willing to do things like uh, capture and drug Axe's main deputy on foreign <laughs> soil. But, you know... 
it is interesting that like New York State AG is like not something that maybe the average person thinks of as like a super powerful office, but he still has the ability to do something like this to something that to someone who acts couldn't like best on his own terms. Also, I did think it was interesting that Axe was like, oh, this is going to be the lowest turnout primary in in history. And we're like, great. <laughs> yeah. What, what a good thing. Yeah. Who needs democracy? We have a segment that is borrowed from our esteemed rewatchables sibling pod. It is called Picking Knits. And listen, I have some doubts about whether a state-level politician confessing to bondage on election day would <laughs> actually help his standing or political career. I don't know. Where? What do you think would actually happen if someone like that came out and was like, yes, I love to be whipped and tortured. Please vote for me. Yeah. I mean, the last few years in American politics have revealed a lot of things, but I don't think make BDSM great again is actually going to work. Sorry, Chuck. Yeah, the Overton window has been shifted in regard to, I don't know, like open bigotry a fair amount, but <laughs> I don't know how how far we are in terms of like people's sex lives. I mean, actually, wait, the president did pay off a porn star. That's the thing. But, That's true. you know, when you're dealing with like a New York state level politician, my honest reaction was like, I bet he would still win because we're already dealing with like not a lot of voters. And you brought up like the timing of this announcement is not exactly clear, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I got a nitpick about this because, yeah, I'm a little confused about the timeline because, you know, how long are people allowed to vote? If Chuck is giving the speech at 5 p.m., wouldn't the majority of his constituents have already, like, had their vote? And, you know, like, how many votes is he even swaying at that point? Totally. And you're right. This is also another episode of Billions that appears to take place in a 24-hour period. And the election that takes place is the primary, right? And yet by the end of the episode, he is like fully like, I am sworn in and I have the power to like kick a Russian billionaire out of the country. (laughs) And it's like, did the general already happen? Is the Republican not even trying to be like, yo, it's kind of weird that my opponent is into bondage. Maybe try to maybe I can try to leverage that into being like the only Republican elected to state white office in New York State, like, history in the last 50 years. I don't know. It's just a weird, like, I don't quite understand how the pacing is supposed to go. Maybe they just kind of fudge the timeline a little bit so that they can get Chuck back in the driver's seat because the show was, again, a little slow without, like, one of the two players in an obvious position of power. Yeah, I, I also feel like most people wouldn't actually, like, consider the nuances of his speech because people would probably just get, like, an Apple News push notification that's, like, politician admits to bondage with his wife and, like, people wouldn't consider the full speech to start making fun of, like, the BDSM element of it. Yeah, I could see it, like, not hurting him, but I also genuinely feel like the main response would just be, like, apathy. It would just be, like, okay, whatever. I don't really care about, like, what kind of (laughs) sex you have. Let me just go back to (laughs) endlessly scrolling through Twitter and watching our civilization crumble and all manner of other ways that don't have to do yeah. with the totally consensual sex life. I, I just appreciate the Chuck Rhodes memes, if we're being honest. Yeah. Oh, also, we did get another, like, weird Chuck dance moment. So, like, that is continuing. Oh, yeah, uh, that was <laughs> tough. Um, we did have, We I at least wanted to shout out the reverse nitpick. We mentioned this earlier. But, yes, millennials not being able to deal with uh, analog technology, very accurate, dollar bill, busting out of Filofax, and everyone being like, literally, what is that? I have never seen that in my life. Very accurate. Um, just shout out to that. I don't really know how we would be doing anything without constant access to Wi-Fi. So shout out to Axe Cap for weathering that particular storm. <laughs> shout out Wi-Fi. <laughs> so 
We've taken a couple weeks off. So for the final section or penultimate section, we're going to get to quotes for our grand finale. But we wanted to do some predictions for the rest of the season because we won't necessarily be doing week-to-week check-ins. We will be back before the end of season four. Do not worry. But we're not going to be here every single week. So we wanted to, like, spin it forward a little bit and also check in on some of the stuff that we maybe missed checking in on earlier in the season. So I know you had, like, one very big prediction for where the show is going to go from here. Yeah, so I do think that what we're going to get, just based on the uh, Skype call that Taylor gives Wendy, is, you know, the new battle lines might be drawn and it'll be like Team Wendy and Taylor versus Team Axe and Chuck. And and I, honestly, I would very much like to see that happen. Yeah, this was also like a weirdly quiet week for Taylor. The decision to go into business with their dad didn't get like a huge amount of play after last, week, last week's subplot. They kind of try to spin Axe Cap's misfortune into you know, their own profit, which Axe himself is just like, okay, that's a totally normal thing we would do. I was a little confused about the implications when uh, Axe is talking to Grigor and was like, all your assets are frozen, but I'll give you back the money you have in Taylor Mason Capital. So was that just like, I'm freeing this up so you can take all the money out and like totally fuck Taylor out of the foundation of their fund? Or was that an extension of the provisional truce? Like, what was your read on that? I, I, I thought it was the latter. I think, I think you know, because for, for Taylor, obviously, Grigor's money was was huge for, for them. But um, there was always that nagging thing of, like, Grigor is sort of this loose cannon and he's going to do stuff uh, without their consent that, that like, like basically, like, you know, doing a cyber attack on, on Axe Cap. So I think in the long term, Taylor uh, will, will like that their company isn't under, like, Grigor's... Uh, like like having Grigor potentially like mess stuff up for her, for them. Sorry. Probably true. But I also thought it was interesting that Taylor, after starting the season being like, Axe Cap will do things that we won't. They're locked in this competition with Axe Cap and yet they, and like they don't really hesitate when they see that their adversary is down to be like, okay, well, how can we spin this to our advantage and their even further disadvantage? So I still think there's like the continuing question of like how sincere is Taylor's commitment to doing things more ethically than Axe Cap? Mm -hmm. Is this rivalry with Axe going to drag them down to Axe's level? Like what's happening? But yeah, I do think like that's a very promising direction for the show to go in now that Axe and Chuck are quote unquote on the same side. I don't really know what it means for Wendy to be a raid against Axe because, like, she's still his, basically his deputy. Like, I don't even, I think there has to be some more maneuvering before there can be, like, a full reconfiguration. But, yeah, like, this yeah. obviously drives a huge wedge into the middle of the Rhodes marriage. And uh, things could get really ugly really fast. But, yeah. It could be bad, but 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 you know that that's kind of one of the best parts of Billions is just seeing how the allegiances continue to shift. Because like in season one, Chuck and Carnegie they would just burr out and like eat takeout together all of season one, and now you know they're on like opposite ends of this line, and Carnegie has teamed up with like evil Jeff Sessions. Yes, so this is also I think a big move for Taylor that they've ascended high enough within the show that they are now effectively like it used to be this sort of unsteady triangle between Wendy, Axe, and Chuck. And I think the introduction of Taylor to, like, a full-on competitor in that field means that it can be, like, 
women and non-binary people versus the men, which I think is also very promising, like a a sort of modified battle of the sexes. Um, It also just means that, like, Wendy, I think it's a more interesting place to go. Because I think that was also part of what made the season so slow, was like, okay, well, if Wendy's in, like, a relatively good place in both her marriage and her professional life, like, what does that mean for her just in terms of, like, what she can do in the show? Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. I'm I'm excited. I basically... Uh, Showtime, give us the screeners now. (laughs) Yeah, this was, okay, so this was the last full disclosure episode that critics got screeners of in advance. So we have known for a while that we wanted this to be our our spotlight. And yeah, uh, you and Chris Almeida both slacked me within 24 hours of having seen this episode and being like, you got to get to episode four. Like, it's out of control. I was like, all right, let's do it. So like, we understand. that was weeks ago. (laughs) Yes, we understand why like this is where they left Showtime left us hanging, but like we would yeah. very much like to see more please as soon as possible. We're very excited. <laughs> um, there's also one more like major development in the season that I thought is probably worth checking back in on, which is the fact that Axe is now in like what seems like a pretty serious relationship. I feel like if you're rich, it just moves incredibly fast because you can make insane grand gestures like buying a six-figure car on a whim. As one does. And also to go on an anti-gravity flight together and possibly test the uh friction up there yeah what a date idea also they made that reservation like six months out so like clearly they see at least like a moderately long-term thing going on but yeah we should clarify we're talking about axe's relationship with rebecca Cantu, i believe her name is played by nina arianda a wonderful theater actress who was also on hannibal r.i.p shout out to that show (laughs) but um it's really interesting to see axe in a relationship with someone who is like in his field of business, I think that obviously might spell trouble down the road, seeing how we just we just saw what happened in the other main relationship in the show when, you know, their professional <laughs> reputations yep. kind of were at odds with one another. But yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you think of this relationship? What does it do for Axe's character? Do you see it lasting? Uh, yeah, I, I don't see it lasting in the long term just because they, they both are going to put, you know, business ahead of pleasure. But I, I'm curious to see what, what they do with it because so far it just seems almost too, like it, it's almost going too well where it's just like... like yeah, it's pretty frictionless. Yeah. Uh, zero grab it's site. frictionless. Zero yeah. grab flights aside. <laughs> there's not much friction. Yeah. And, and uh, well, we mentioned this briefly, but I'm also curious, like, are we, are we going to see Lara or the kids anytime soon? Like, what's just... I think Mal and Ackerman chilling? might just be off the show at this point, but I hope we at least yeah. see the kids. Like, I want to know that Axe is, like, a somewhat present father. I think that the tension that they sort of allude to in this episode that I'm curious to see, like, what they do with it is the fact that apparently, like, she has this reputation as being a total straightforward, highly reputable, uh, vent- I think she's, like, a venture capitalist, I believe. Um But the point being, like, her reputation is pretty sterling, and he is obviously known as, like, this gross CEO calls him the Al Capone of Wall Street. And in the moment, she kind of shrugs it off, but I'm wondering, like, is this going to be a thing where she discovers just how dirty he is and is, like, not down with that? Is it a point where, like, his reputation starts to rub off on her and she's not okay with that? I think that's, like, a sort of unexplored dynamic that spells trouble for the relationship in the long run. Yeah, my my only thing against that is like 
and maybe this is just sort of a, a general point of view, but it's like, are, are they all just inherently dirty like acts? Like, will she even care? Well, yeah. I mean, there was also, yeah. like, he pulled the dirty move with the outing the uh, undocumented pay, payment scandal with the competing company, and her reaction was not, like, this was dirty. I wanted to do it the right way. It was like, you cut me out of some profits, and I was going to yeah. do that myself anyway. So, like, get out of my business. So... She's clearly, like, aware of what's happening on some level, but they've made it enough a part of her character that I'm wondering if it'll figure into the long run. Anyway, uh, this is a Billions podcast. We cannot go off the air without running through the best quotes of the episode. So we're just going to rapid fire through a couple highlights. Miles, would you like to get us started? Sure thing. So, and this is Wendy talking to Chuck after his speech. You blew up my fucking life and more Churchill. You can shove him up your ass, and believe me, he'll fit. <laughs> oh my god, that's a I'm great just glad burn. She, yeah, she got a few uh, jokes at Chuck's expense this week. Although he I thought, also, I thought at least one of them was like exceptionally poorly timed. Like when he's like, "Oh, you can tune in and just watch me bend over at five oh, p.m." She's like, "Hey, I've seen it before." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, there's a time and a place. I feel like maybe that might have been a deciding factor in him deciding to like totally go rogue with it. I don't know. There's there's been a lot of jokes at Chuck's expense this season, and I just don't think he wanted one more from Wendy. But tough break. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the guy from Louisiana who tips Jack or tips Axe off to the impending explosion that's going to make natural gas into a toxic asset. And he says that it's going to go up like a bullfrog with an M80 in its ass, which, sorry, apologies for that terrible Southern accent. But, you know, this was a Jeffcoat light episode, so I think we've been missing that, like, color. And it was just nice to get, like, an old-fashioned, extremely crude simile in a really ridiculous regional accent. Anyway. Also, love the fact that that guy's first thing is, like, natural gas is going to blow up is time to call Axe. <laughs> yeah, and Axe, like, doesn't even know who he is. I'm yeah, assuming he's just like, who is this? Yeah, I don't know. Like, Dollar Bill's going to go in there with a duffel bag full of cash at some point. So, yeah. hopefully he'll be compensated. But, yeah, shout out to that guy. Um, yeah, so I also loved that Mafie in the middle, you know— t- Taylor Mason Capital is, like, strategizing where to go with this, and he checks in at one point, and then he leaves the room by saying, love it, boss people, (laughs) which um, is a very literal take on plural pronouns. He could have just said boss person. I feel like there are other non-gendered ways, but I thought it was a very sweet, very Mephi gesture of uh, respecting Taylor's identity. So shout out to Mephi. We love you. Also, shout out to their virtual group high five at one point at the office. Oh, my that, God. That felt very on brand for Taylor Mason Cap. Yeah, we should also talk about, speaking of Taylor Mason Cap, uh, is there something going on with them and Sarah? <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's something they might touch on in future episodes because it does feel like there's a little bit of a spark there, maybe. Yeah, I think they've been dropping breadcrumbs and hints and, like, there have been some meaningful eye contacts made. And obviously, we know Taylor's mm-hmm. single after the blow up with Mike Birbiglia, RIP, last season. But, yeah, that's something I feel like it's good to to keep a watch on. And my final quote of the episode, it's not even really a quote. It's just when, like, Axe is tr- making a manual phone trade and he makes a reference and clearly the person on the other end doesn't get it. And he effectively pulls the, like, it's really obscure, you probably haven't heard of it move, um, which is just extremely collegiate. And I feel like this season of Billions has had more than usual those moments where that like someone makes a reference and then the show acknowledges that like not everyone in the world like speaks 
in an algorithm generated by TNT's, like, film catalog. <laughs> um, and someone just kind of, yeah. like, blinks and doesn't get it, like when uh, Wags was singing Chaka Khan to— Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. To, like, a Middle Eastern sheikh who was like, what are you talking about? Uh, but, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's funny for the show to either fourth wall break or, like, maybe they're kind of subtly hinting these characters are a little bit off their game this year. I don't really know. Do you want to close us out with your final final quote of the sure week? Sure thing. Yep. Uh, Chuck Sr. to his son, trying to convince him to just let his BDSM freak flag fly. If she's angry about it, let her give you a good smack later. A win for everyone involved. Really appreciated. The Billions writers, you guys all need to be arrested. <laughs> I'm sorry. Really appreciated that at least this one was not followed by Chuck, like, trying to explain how BDSM works in, like, very earnest fashion to his own father. I'm glad that Chuck has, like, really learned there. But yeah, this was truly an amazing episode of Billions. We have seen all of your tweets. We really appreciate the support. We will be back before the end of the season. But until then, you can catch recapables of great shows like Killing Eve, for example. And we, I know we have an episode about the bull type coming. Look out for those in the feed. And until then, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you.